Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. If you've been a fan of the show for a while, you might be having a little bit of deja vu, and you're not wrong, because today we have decided to re-air our episode with the one and only Sammy Miro. And if there was any question that I got on Instagram in the past week persistently, it was a response to the full denim Sammy Miro Vintage X Levi's collab that I was wearing last weekend, and my inbox was bombarded with, oh my God, where can I get this? Is this out yet? Well, guess what? We have news. It's coming out tomorrow, Tuesday, October 18th. And so I decided to bring this episode that I recorded with Sammy back in 2019 and bubble it back to the top of our inboxes because I want to celebrate Sammy and all she's accomplished. It's really funny. As someone who's hosted a podcast with probably over 100 episodes, there are so many episodes that I listen back to or think of from the past that the second that I hear them, I just cringe. I'm like, oh my God, I was so young. I was such a novice to this skill. I was so not comfortable in my body. And I just felt like I wasn't fully there yet. Not to say that I'm fully there now, but at least, you know, three years ago, I was well on my way. But this was one of those episodes that I listened to and was like, wow, that was me. And that was her. And we were both so there and present in the moment. So I wanted to re-highlight it just to highlight her incredible career and show how full circle this moment really is. I want to share a little bit how I met Sammy, actually, because it's very true to me and how I've met so many people in this industry. But I was a fangirl, obviously. As someone in fashion, I was just so inspired by what she was doing. She was and still is so cool. And she was on so many of my mood boards. And I think I remember seeing a Covetour story that she did. And I was just like, oh, my God, this girl is like so cool. And she's so smart and she's stunning. And like, this is going to be huge. I can just feel it. But so I slid into her DMs back in the day when I was doing Friend of a Friend, the blog, when I would, you know, bring people on as guest editors or, you know, bring them on for stories, kind of Covetour style myself. But I DMed her. I think I emailed her a gajillion times. And then we eventually ended up communicating. And I was like, hi, I would love to interview. I want to shoot you. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So she had me meet her, I think, at Dinosaur Cafe in Silver Lake. And at the time, I was like really not accustomed to Silver Lake at all. It was like totally out of my LA orbit because I wasn't even really living in LA at the time. So I remember driving all the way over there and I was like, where am I going? I eventually meet her in this like very cool coffee shop that obviously everybody knows and loves now. And I'll never forget how incredibly poised and soft-spoken and focused and present she was. 
And I remember feeling so drawn to her because if you know Sammy personally, you know that she is just so giving with her time and energy. And I remember feeling so connected to her in that moment. And I actually think that for me, that's kind of been like the capstone of so many of the relationships that I've forged in this industry and that have like stayed long term. And I feel like we'll be lifelong friends. I think a lot of people get really, really caught up, unfortunately, in this industry and so many of like, oh, what can I what can I use this person for? What can I get from this person, which is a really nasty way to be. But I think that real friendships and real relationships come from this like beautiful give and take of love and energy. And Sammy immediately gives that out. And I think if anybody's ever met her who's listening right now, they can totally attest to that. So I interviewed her. I had it go on the website. I was like, again, still such a fangirl and honestly still am. I'm sure so many of you are fans of hers. I actually remember the other night at the SMV Levi's collab dinner, I walked out of the car and these girls right in Hollywood were like, oh my God, your outfit, where is it from? And I was like, it's Sammy Mira Vintage. And they were like, oh my God, we know her. She sells on Forward. She sells on Revolve. And I think just to have that moment, especially for someone that you, you know, admire so deeply and someone who's a friend and you're so proud of. That was so cool. So I wanted to bring this episode back up today because it's a really special one for me. Celebrating friendship is literally the core of this show and connecting you guys to people that I think are amazing in the world and doing amazing things is exactly what this show is about. I mean, we recorded this in 2019 and just in the past three years, she's been inducted into the CFDA. Her clothes are literally everywhere from Olivia Rodrigo to Bella Hadid. She just killed it at Fashion Week, sitting at Ferragamo and Prada. And now she is launching her first ever collab with Levi's. When I was a fangirl and I reached out to her, the thing that caught my eye the most was this incredible jacket that she had made that was like a bomber jacket. And it was just different patches of vintage Levi's. And when I was sitting at the dinner that she did last weekend, she had started to talk about how Levi's was the beginning of her story. And if you're a fan of hers for so long, you know that it was. Going back to the thing that she started with and now having it be such an amazing platform for her is just so cool to see. So the collaboration's available tomorrow. The stuff is so cute. Like if you need a glimpse of it, go onto her Instagram. An amazing crop top, two pairs of pants, a very chic dress that like is so form-fitting and amazing. I actually wore it in a velvet style like two years ago and it's still one of the best dresses that's ever fit to my body ever. And this really cool trench coat. So there's something for everybody. Make sure you shop it tomorrow. And I hope you guys love this episode. There's just so much to learn from this, from you know working in tech to living in Taiwan to moving to LA and becoming a stylist and now becoming one of the coolest designers in fashion. So without further ado, Here's my conversation with my friend, Sammy Merrill. Hi, Sammy. Hello, Liz. <laughs> I'm so happy that you're on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. It was really funny because when I think you, when you and I were like scheduling this, do you see the comment on your Instagram? No. Oh, yes. It was so weird. Someone so commented on Sammy's Instagram being like, at Liz, please put Sammy on your podcast. And I was like, I'd love to. <laughs> well, first of all, we already made plans to do it. Yes, but it was so. just even like cooler that somebody did that. I know. I love yeah. it. She could see the future. She could definitely see the future. But okay, tell us where you were born and where you live now. I was born in the beautiful city of San Francisco. And now I live in Los Angeles. And I feel like you're you're still very connected to San Francisco. I have so much San Francisco pride. It's kind of embarrassing. I'm like, I'm like that that em- embarrassing like a uh, cheerleader mom 
talking about her daughter and how she's the best one, that's me talking about San Francisco. Just, I mean, okay, it's a little, that's very maternal of you <laughs> yeah. and very sweet. But no, I feel, yeah, you have like an immense amount of pride for where you came from. And that's like, do. that's such a cool thing to Thanks. be able to feel that way. I think it really comes with the territory. All of the Bay Area, we're like, we love the Bay. We love all of our friends from the Bay. We are obviously open to not people who are not from the Bay, but like we just have so much pride being from there. And that's kind of just all I know. So it is, I've never really had this conversation that, about this. So it is kind of curious. How do you feel like growing up in San Francisco gave you a different perspective on fashion? Ooh, well, San Francisco, no offense. I mean, we started this off right with telling everyone how much I love the Bay. So I feel like I can also talk about its downfalls. San Francisco has a terrible sense of fashion, but that is where I obtained my love of vintage because we have some of the best vintage shopping there, ironically, because everyone gives away all of their good clothes and they just right. stick with the North the North Face. So. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. But so you were raised by your dad and you have a brother. Yes. So who was the first person to be like, hey, let's go vintage shopping? I actually was. I discovered it on my own, which is kind of ironic because my dad is like the guru of eBay. He can find anything on eBay for he will find like a $3,000 Armani suit for $5. And it's in perfect condition, like still new with tags. So I that exists. (laughs) He's he's the guy. So like he passed that on to me a little bit when it comes to eBay. So when I was about 14 or 15, I went to the American rag. But to me, the American rag wasn't attainable because the front half of the store was all like the super expensive, fancy things. And being a 14, 15 year old girl, like I can't buy an $100 t-shirt. But I was with my friend who could. And when I, we were in there and like, and we were, she was shopping, I went to the back of the store and I was like, holy shit, this is all the the version of everything that's cool right now, but everything has holes in it. And and that's where, that's how I discovered vintage. I feel like the one thing you always love to talk about is your college experience. Yeah. Well, two two things to address. First, I think that I talk about like my background in schooling and 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 my previous experience working like in a corporate environment or like a tech environment I talk about that a lot because in the industry that we're in right now there are very few people who like have a a normal you know background or like a, a background in with a graduate degree or a master's degree and who like worked in a completely different so I like to talk about that kind of stuff to show people that like education is still important it when you have a a something to fall back on like it makes you more comfortable like don't I want people to go for their dreams but I want people to be sensible about it I have a lot of friends who I've actually I've never had a boyfriend who ever graduated from college which is super interesting but all of them are super smart it doesn't mean some people just don't need it. Why did you need it? Well, I needed it for that reason to really like grow and mature. Imagining, imagining like 17, yeah, 17 year old Sammy graduating from high school, going straight into the real, real world. I would have been a mess. I would have been so confused. I wouldn't have known like how to do 
much of what I should have been able to do. So like I really needed that extra time. And I also had a learning disability. So it was like I just needed more time. Did you know what you wanted to do back then? Did you have any idea? Like was it what I'm doing now? In any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I thought that I was going to go on that traditional San Francisco path of like, you know, working for some startup or like tech company. And my major in undergrad was marketing. So I thought that's what I was going to do. And I was like thrilled to do that. It was just didn't turn out that way, really. But I'm happy about it. (laughs) same (laughs) so you went to college where did you go and tell us what you studied yeah so I went to Santa Clara University which is a a Jesuit university kind of like the Northern California version of USC okay SCU Santa Clara University got it so it was a super small Jesuit university it's about 50 minutes south of San Francisco so it's like you San Francisco, then Stanford, then Santa Clara. Got it. And yeah, and then I majored in marketing with an emphasis on internet marketing. Like like e-commerce. Right. Not in the way that we would think about it now. But then you went on to get your master's in global entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I was in a program and it was through three Jesuit universities in basically it was like you live, you work, and you study in Asia, Europe, and America to really understand how business varies in all three of those continents. And so it was three, three Jesuit universities within those three continents. And then so when we were in Asia, we lived in Taiwan, in Taipei. And in Europe, we were in Barcelona. And then in America, we were in San Francisco. What was the most important thing that you learned from that time in your life that you feel impacted the way you run your business today? Well, I think what, in general, what made grad school special to me is the fact that I come from, like, the way that I was raised, it was like, okay, college was a thing that you have to do. Like, it's just, there's no other option. So when I was in undergrad, I was like, you know, your brain is half in it, half out of it. How much do you really remember from undergrad? I remember like nothing. Right. Okay. (laughs) But when you decide to go to grad school, it's all because you made that decision. So you are so much more present. I, I went out maybe even though I was like in Barcelona, in Taipei, I went out, I think when I was in Taiwan, like two times ever within a six month period. It's like, it's like you are like, you are so in the zone. You want to get straight A's. You want to kick ass in absolutely everything you do. You're also writing a thesis in all of the three places that you're in. And it's like you remember absolutely, well, not absolutely everything, but you remember so much more when you're in grad school. And it means that much more to you as well. So that part is really interesting. And when we were in Taipei, we had to essentially like create a company. So we did all of the normal steps like you know, writing out your like five-year financial plan, like understanding all of the accounting, creating a whole marketing plan, creating an actual product. Like it was a, it was a full thing. So that was so incredible to do back then. And also we're talking about, this was like year 2010. 
So that wasn't in the years of everyone can be an entrepreneur. That was like scary when it was, if you, it, it was scary to be an entrepreneur then. So it was really cool to learn like from an educational standpoint how to do all of the steps, even though that's not necessarily how I did it when I did start my own company. But it was a very special experience. So in this grad program, we first were in Barcelona, then we went to Taipei, and we finished in San Francisco. And in San Francisco, as part of the program, I was interning for this startup. Got it. And when I was interning for it, it was like literally two founders who just came up with an idea no name, no product, no nothing, no business plan finished. And so like my project in the internship was to write a marketing plan. And I had, it was like me and two or three, three others in my program. And we wrote a marketing plan and they ended up hiring three of us from that team after. So it was like, we, we were there from ground zero. Like we were, we were working in one of the founders apartments to make it. It was like, yeah, it was so cool. We were there to like, create the name we worked on like the first prototypes the branding everything so it was and then I was there for four years so by the time I left it was a full like global company please tell me you have stock options in that I actually do yes and they fully vested before I left so if I knew about the idea of stock options when I was in college and interning I'd probably be a very different person today (laughs) if you're in college right now and you're interning for a startup please, please do yourself a favor and ask for stock options. It's really important. Yes. Yeah, 100%. We'll be right back after a quick break. Have you been wanting to get into coding but have no idea where to start? Well, I have the perfect solution. Start learning to code anywhere, anytime with Sabio. It's online and from the comfort of your own home. Sabio is a coding bootcamp and developer community that's been training successful software engineers since 2013. I highly recommend checking it out There are so many different job opportunities for women in tech in the industry right now. And if you've been wanting to make a career change, I can't recommend it enough. In just 17 weeks, Sabia will teach you the skills you need to start a real high-paying tech job and helping you find a job as part of the program. They've been voted Best Coding Bootcamp by Course Report five years in a row, and all of their students graduate from bootcamp at Sabia with real-life experience and the confidence to succeed. Their alumni are working at some of the most innovative companies around the world, like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and more. The bootcamp is taught remotely, so you can start learning wherever you are. Plus, Sabio is extremely affordable. They even offer a women in tech startup with a $5,500 off the total cost of tuition. I love that Sabio is owned and operated by women. They are committed to helping more women learn how to code. Learn to code with Sabio and take your career to the next level. Visit my special URL, sabio.la backslash friend, to learn how you can qualify for the $5,500 women in tech scholarship. That's sabio.la slash friend. Don't wait. Go to sabio.la slash friend to learn more today. That's sabio.la slash friend. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so then you left. So I actually moved to LA while I was still working for that company. Okay. And I my job with them required weekly travel. So I didn't have to be in the headquarters because I wasn't there anyway. So they were like, you can move to any metropolitan city as long as you're by, you know, big airport. Cool. And so I was like, I will take advantage of this and (laughs) move elsewhere. So I decided to move to Los Angeles and in doing so met people in a variety of, of different creative industries. So 
people who like knew about fashion. They're like, your clothes are really sick. Like, why don't you try styling? And I was like, what is styling? They're like, it's where someone brings clothing and puts it on other people in a photo shoot, for example. And I was like, that is weird. I didn't know people needed help getting dressed. That's how far removed from fashion I was. What did you wear to your tech startup every day? Oh, same, same clothes that I wear now. I was I was I was in such a it was so funny because not only was I a woman in a heavily a man heavy environment, I was also a non-white woman and I was also like a weird vintage girl and I was also much younger than everybody else. How did you navigate that environment? I'm used to being in that kind of environment. I always went to like private schools and I was the typically the only non-white person at those private schools and typically I was one of the few there on like a scholarship so that was just what I was used to I love to hear that you excel in your difference that's cool (laughs) thanks well no I was aware that I was dressing in a different way and I was aware that like I loved vintage so much and that it meant a lot to me but I wasn't aware that it would eventually or could eventually become my career path Because I didn't know anything about the fashion industry. I didn't know. Like, I was so far removed that I didn't even think as far as like, oh, I could create a company and make money in fashion. It was just like my brain didn't even go there. So when I moved to L.A. and people were kind of pushing me to do more creative things, when I was still working for that tech company, on the weekends, I would be the coffee runner at a magazine photo shoot. And I would like maybe I would get paid I don't know, zero to like $100 a day or something, whatever the minimum is. And I would be like the styling assistants, 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 assistants at this big photo shoot to kind of just learn like, oh, what is fashion? Like, what are these brands out there? How does it all go down? So then I just realized that there was something super creative in me that was dormant because I wasn't able to express it while I was in San Francisco. And I was like, let's just go for it. So I was like, hey, dad, I'm going to quit my salary job with healthcare, and I'm just going to like go for something that I don't even know what it is that I want to do yet. And I'm just going to do it. And my whole family was like, what are you doing? How can you quit a job without already having another job lined up? What went into you meeting new people, specifically like creative people that put you in the position to like be on those photo shoots? Because I always get asked that question. It's like, how did you get to that point? Like, you're not just walking on the street and you meet somebody that's going to get you a photo shoot. But like, what what was like your networking hack during that time? You know, I really, it was all just luck, to be honest. And I took an opportunity. I think how, it's funny that you ask because I haven't thought about this since it happened. But I was friends with, do you know Dylan Penn? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So she was my friend. She and I worked together in New York very briefly, and she was living here, and she was doing a photo shoot. She was like, do you want to come with me, like, since you're interested in learning about fashion? I was like, hell yeah. So I just went to this photo shoot with her, and she was like, you should talk to the stylist and, like, say you want to work. And I was, like, so shy. Supportive (laughs) friends are the best. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so I was like, all awkwardly at the end of the photo shoot it was like my last chance <laughs> I was like, so like, like if you ever like need an assistant 
assistant or anything. Like, I would love to help you. And she was like, actually, yes, I do. I have something coming up next week and I need help. And I was like, holy shit. Put yourself out there. You I, have to put yourself out there because what do you have to lose? Nothing. I also say this so often. People can't picture you in the position that you want to be in if you don't show them that you can be in that position. So it's yeah. like you could be standing in a room and the stylist would not know that they could use you if you didn't put yourself in the position to be used like that. How did you get your first client? So I took like basically a year and a half. You know, tried different styling jobs. I produced my own photo shoots of with my vintage pieces. And I tested out some modeling jobs. And then I, while exploring this new world, I was like, had an inkling. I'm like, okay, I think I actually have a point of view in fashion. And I think that I could at some point when I'm ready, create a clothing company. And, but because I'm just all about authenticity and staying true to my roots, I knew that vintage would have had to been the main factor vintage sustainability that would have to be like the brand. But back then no one was like reworking vintage. It wasn't a thing. And so it, it, it wasn't until I had an epiphany how to create a new company out of something old. I was styling somebody for the TV movie awards and they wanted me to just, you know, like go pull a bunch of stuff like a stylist would normally do. But I was like, you know what? I have this idea. I started sketching things out and I created one of the first pieces from my first drop, which was a bomber made from patchwork Levi's jeans. And so I made that piece. And then while doing that, I was like, holy shit, this is what Sammy Miro vintage is. And it might now just seem like such a funny thing because so many people do that, but no one was, it wasn't a thing back then. So I knew that from the point that the MTV movie awards were, or actually from the day that I sketched the first piece, it was nothing was even made and the client approved the, the item to get made. I had 10 days from that point until the MTV movie awards. And I was like, I figured out what I'm going to do, what my purpose is, what my point of view is. I have 10 days to create a collection, figure out manufacturing, make my first website, produce my a photo shoot, get a find a photographer, videographer, models, design more pieces, find fabrics, get the production going. I had 10 days to do all of that. And I did it. And I how did you do it? I, I just did it all by myself. I just did it. <laughs> I did it. I asked around. I had one friend who worked in a, a showroom and I was like, hey, do you know anybody who knows an embroiderer? And they were like, oh, yeah, I have a friend who has a clothing company. Go. Here's his number. And that guy gave me the name of his embroiderer. So I went there. And then like from there, just like ask the next person where can I find this? Where can I find that? And then, I mean, I spent like all of every second of every day doing it to get it done. And that's how I did it. That's amazing. I usually feel like things, the best things happen in moments like that. Do you find that you work best under pressure? Hell yeah. I do. 
for sure. But it's also really nice when you have a lot of time to make things happen, which is rare. But right now I'm in that position. We're working on our our next collection and we're like, wow, we have so many months and we're just so far ahead of schedule. We've never experienced this before. It's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. I really like what you were saying earlier about realizing that you had this different perspective in fashion. Do you think it was difficult for you to begin to trust your own opinion? Yeah, I think that is the scary thing of entrepreneurship in general because you're creating something, whether it's a physical product or or a service or whatever it is. And it's like, are people, is this just in my head? Am I the only one who thinks this is going to be good? So it's always important before actually putting all of your time and money into something is just asking as many people as like pitching your idea to everybody. And if the consensus, if a hundred out of a hundred people say it's not a good idea, you might want to rework it, tweak it, or move on to something else just putting that out there. Maybe, maybe not. But for me, it was just like, I started it and I immediately, it was received super well by a lot of like influential people. So I was like, okay, holy crap. Like I might have a point of view being a girl who knows nothing about fashion from a a learned standpoint. Like this all is just coming from my heart. So it's like, it was just so weird and satisfying and amazing and exciting for me to get to know that okay wait I have something here so now we're three years later yeah Mm -hmm. explain to us your current business model oh my current business model I think it's kind of ever-changing I think in its current form and well to touch on that really quickly I think that a lot of people are like okay what's your five-year plan I definitely didn't ask that because I would never ask you such a question and put you in a box like that. Thank you. I would never. And it's like a PS to anybody ever asking people questions, specifically me. Don't <laughs> ask me what my five-year plan is. Or Sammy Miro. Yeah, or or me. Because, you know, even before this Instagram world that we live in, and while technology is just changing at a pace that we couldn't even have ever imagined— even just like from being an 18-year-old to being a 22-year-old, so much of what I thought I was going to do had changed. And to me, it's just all about being open to new opportunities and taking every opportunity that you can. Because especially at a young age, you're still learning about yourself. Like you don't for sure know that you wanted when you're 17, that your career path for your life is in marketing. Some people are are lucky enough to know that. And that's so sick. But a lot of people don't know. I mean, so much changes in life. So I always think it's important to be open to new things in life. A hundred percent. Yeah. So in terms of of SMV, I mean, it's still like when I started it, it was a passion project. It was like, okay, what am I going to do as an entrepreneur? And I'm also learning about the fashion industry. And because I was self-funded, I was like, I obviously want to be intelligent in how I'm spending my money in, in an industry that I've never been in. I want to move super, super slowly. So I did because I also wanted to learn about all of the aspects of how the business works instead of like getting a, a backer and then not understanding how the whole pr- production side works, not understanding how, you know, different fabrics will change the pattern of of a of a 
garment, you know, so all of those little specificities I wanted to be on top of and be able to speak to. So still we are super small. It's me and my girl, Ashley. Shout out, Ashley. (laughs) Shout out to Ashley. And yeah, we kind of are just like two girls handling everything. We are, I mean, we just did a collaboration with Heron Preston and that is going to be launching in, okay, I don't know if I can reveal the amount of retailers but whatever yeah it'll be an x amount of retailers but it'll be all over the world (laughs) very cool (laughs) yeah so we have that coming up I have so many so many collaborations coming up as well and just a new kind of model of I'm going to be dropping my one of ones finally on my website so like I'm I think when I like say business modeling it's like Mm -hmm. what are the like divisions of SMB. So you have like mm. the styling side, you have like the one of ones, the customs, like what are the components of like what makes SMB SMB today? Yeah. So we have, I have my one of one side where at all times I'll have you know, hundreds and hundreds of one of a kind vintage pieces that I personally source from all over the world. And I find these unique pieces, buy them, rework them, put my signature stamp on them, which typically includes vintage denim patch or, you know, a specific like cut, frame, shaping, taking a lot of men's pieces and turning them into women's. So we have the one of one side. Then we have the collection side. And that is essentially just a normal collection like every other brand out there. However, All of our fabrics are made from upcycled fabrics. So we are a sustainable company, whether we have the vintage side or the new collection side. So cool. You are a self-founded, self-funded company that you run yourself. Is that commercial aspect Mm -hmm. important to you? I think that if you want to be a successful money-making machine, it has to be. I think For me, what I want to do is have options for for a more commercial girl and have options for your niche girl. Because that's, I mean, I'm your, Sammy Mira Vintage is for your niche girl. But I think it's important to expand a little bit and make, you know, some simple pieces that everyone can enjoy, especially because of the, of the education that the sustainability does play into it and to, you know, like teach girls who don't, who may just be buying like Zara or Forever 21 and like show them that it's also important and that the quality level is, that is one, one thing about, about the pieces from my collection, like the, the fabrics that I upcycle, they're really good quality. So it's like my, my tank tops, like the one that you own. Oh my God. (laughs) Let me tell you guys, the softest butter cloud tank top I've ever worn in my whole life (laughs) is an SMB tank top. Thank you, Liv. It's also important because we're kind of like crossing the the lines of like when SMB or even just like a year ago, if you were a sustainable clothing brand, like you probably were just, you know, t-shirt, sweatshirt. And it was like, it looked like it was a sustainable brand. I mean, Sammy and I were in Miami a year ago and I wore probably one of my favorite dresses I've ever worn in my whole life. (laughs) The velvet one. Yes. I remember you looked amazing in it. 
What a night. We had fun. We, had we, went on, fun. we had a date night. Yeah. We ended up at 11. <laughs> well, we ended up looking at 11. We didn't go. We just took a selfie in front of it. I promise I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and then but, we ordered chicken fingers. <laughs> oh, my God. I want chicken fingers. But back to the point of bringing that up. <laughs> the dress was amazing. And I think it's to your point of saying that it doesn't, this whole stigma of being sustainable and upcycled. I think that there is an unfortunate stigma against it that you can't also be wearing something cute at the same time. Right. Yeah. So the, the, that's kind of like the whole the whole thing behind SMV is like you can be that cool, sustainable, like green, eco-conscious, let's save the planet girl. But you can also do that while looking super sick and sexy. I think like your brand ethos will forever stay like in your t- terrain but you do a really good job of like branching out and creating moments for other people that bring them into your world and not the other way around. Boom. That was very eloquent. But I love that. That was deep. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, like it is your world. Like you want people to come into Sammy Miro Vintage's world, not the other way around, because you are so specific, especially when it comes to sustainability. But so on the topic of sustainability, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now in your business with maintaining that sustainability? When you are a sustainable clothing company, you have to do everything differently. You have to think about everything differently. You can't just go find your favorite fabric, take it to the dye house, wash it, there's there are so many terrible things that are involved in in every step of of fashion like for example finding your favorite fabric step one is you find your favorite fabric then you work with a with a company that's going to create that favorite fabric which means that they are going to make it add more fabric to the world that will potentially get wasted when you take your fabric to the dye house all of the water that goes into washing and dyeing these garments is just it's just it's horrible it's insane how much water is used also the toxins that they use to dye the fabrics are extremely deadly so it's just all and I could keep going on and on so when you are a sustainable company Things get more expensive. Things have to, you have to, like if you want to dye something, you have to spend a lot more money to do it ethically. And and also your fabrics are limited. So for me, I use, like I said, upcycled fabrics. So that just means fabrics that other brands made and then they didn't use it. So they sold it to to a fabric place that sells upcycled garments or fabrics. So that means that I can only make things within that in within that selection. So I can't just like dream up my the perfect fabric. I have to only use what's there. And then there's the issue of, you know, let's say you buy all of the fabric and then you have a demand for more, but that fabric's all gone. So you should have luck, basically. So there is a lot that goes into it. But to me, it's just it's still worth it. And I don't care. And I'm going to be me all the way. Even Absolutely. If it's, even if it's giving me an ulcer. <laughs> God forbid. But it's also I think it's just zooming out for a second. It's also important from like a brand responsibility perspective where it's like you're also training your customer to understand that like it's the planet first, not what we want. 
first right. in terms of what we're wearing. Like, what can the planet provide us that we can put on our bodies and not like what you can just like find and use and use all these like toxic materials. Right. So it's difficult. But I'm sure it also another like pain point, maybe not so much a pain point, but like being in the fashion industry and being a brand that is custom, like it must be also very daunting to see brands like Zach Posen closed down who are like founded on being custom. I mean, yeah. not that Zach was sustainable, but having a clothing brand, it must also be scary sometimes to see big, big houses that are like pillars of the fashion industry close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think absolutely. But that happens with every industry. True. Too. Just because you build it doesn't mean it's going to be there forever. And that's something that's also scary when being an entrepreneur because you can only relish in your successes for about 0.5 seconds before you're like, okay, shit, what's next? What am I going to be doing next? What's the next big thing that I can that I can push? But yeah, it's it's a it's a very scary thing. I think that's also why I'm shifting my model to add more more pieces that are like relevant for for your everyday kind of girl. And I think that it's important to like have a good combination of things. But yeah, I mean being an entrepreneur is scary. Having a company is scary. You have to just stay on top of it. Take it day by day. Yeah. In your opinion, do you think now is a good time to be in fashion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think that the barriers of entry in fashion are so low, meaning that you anyone can start a fashion brand. It's so easy in terms of like, Especially in Los Angeles, there's a huge fashion district. And in New York, you can go buy the fabric. You can find a pattern maker. You can scratch up some designs. You can build a website. Like, it's easy to do it. And I think it's really cool because it gives all of these, like, creative minds the ability to, like, put their ideas out there. So it's definitely, like, a big moment right now for people to start their clothing brands. Good or bad, who knows? Right. But with that spirit in mind, how are you designing while obviously respecting the past, your past, but also like the past of fashion using the vintage that you do while also safeguarding like the future of sustainability in mind? How are you like designing and running a business trying to keep both things in line? Okay, I'm going to answer this and you tell me if I answered your question. (laughs) Well, when it comes to designing, actually, I do that in a very specific way. So I start off like a lot of 99% of brands when they are creating a collection, the designers will go out into the world, find the sickest vintage things, and then just like rip it off. (laughs) No offense, but like that's how things get designed because vintage is a shit and they've already come up with like the most incredible things. And so a lot of people will take maybe maybe not rip it off quotations but you know take inspiration from different aspects of vintage so what I do is in my one of one side already you know I'm buying vintage from everywhere reworking it and what I'll do when I'm reworking it is I'll create a new a new shape a new silhouette add pleats just switch it up switch up the silhouette and the garments that I'm obsessed with and I feel like I created something like super unique 
those reworked vintage pieces become the patterns for my collections. Got it. Yeah. So I do it in a very swift kind of way. But also very intentional, it sounds like. Yeah. You're not doing anything, just like throwing it out there. Yeah. No, it it is because like, you know, when you've reworked like 20,000 vintage things like so much of the things that I have made that are so special to me they're just gone with the wind right so now I'm like okay that piece that's something special I'm going to save that and that's going to be turned into what I will then be able to reproduce for everybody got it yeah you and I talk about like digital personas a lot I mean like you have your business you have your Instagram as well. And you are a very open person. But I do think that like who you are on the internet and who you are in real life are not always the same. No. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what do you wish people in the world knew about you more of? What What do you wish your followers knew more about you? Well, I think that I'm the kind of person who has like a small handful of friends and like I just want to hang out with those people and and like I don't want to like go out to the club or like go to these like big things and I'm like social but I just I love being in like a close-knit community with like people I love and trust so when it comes to social media I I don't share everything about myself I'm not the kind of person like my stories for example like I'm usually in the office working so like I'm not doing stories of like hey like this is what it's like to send an email or like check this out because that's me when I'm just like I'm in my business mode I'm trying to handle shit I have meetings I have like a bunch of stuff that I'm doing so I don't share most of my life so I'm just I'm just weird about it in general I share some parts about myself but I'm very private in a lot of ways speaking of being known for the work how was the NPR summit? How I built this? What was like the big takeaway from that? Because like, Ooh, obviously on, on this podcast, we love how I built this. So give us the, give us the. First of all, I was so honored. I think I, I teared up when I got an email from NPR saying, hey, we would love for you to attend the summit. Sammy's also a massive NPR fan. Huge NPR fan. Love it so much. Love public radio. Everyone should donate to NPR and public radios out there. <laughs> anyway. I mean, we <laughs> donate to journalism, please. Yes. We That is what keeps us alive over exactly. here. Exactly. We love it. Mm-hmm. So I was super excited. I was amongst like, like I was there with like, the founder of of like multi like a billion dollar companies and I'm like oh my gosh I'm just Sammy from SMB like what the hell am I doing there but it was so cool and what I just said will tie into my lesson it was so amazing like I got to watch all of these talks like learned so much from people who are just like badasses in their industries one woman said something that will forever stick by me, and I always try and share this. I'm excited that you asked me this question, was uh, two things. One, you should—I was a part of a summit that was all about elevator pitches. So everyone who was there had a company, and they were practicing in small groups how to pitch and how to have, give their elevator pitch. Then they got on stage and pitched their elevator pitches. So one woman said that 
you are unique and you are starting a company. You are essentially the face of the company when it comes to pitching, when it comes to speaking to people about what your what your idea is all about. So you need to pitch like you. Don't try and pitch like Mark Zuckerberg. Do it in your own way because it won't be authentic and it it won't have the quirks and unique things in there that are what make you special. So that's one thing. A second thing is my favorite one. And that is, and that's what ties into what I said earlier about how I was amongst all of these great CEOs. And then there was just little old me. If you are in, you find yourself in a room with huge power players, it is intimidating as fuck. I was so intimidated. I was like, are you like, oh, Lord, are you sure? Like, why am I here? <laughs> I was nervous. And other people like in, in a networking situation, like in a business, they have like, you know, business networking evenings. And if you find yourself in a room with people who are like super impressive, know that you are there for a reason. You're not just there because you walked in on the street. You were invited to this. Yeah, you might be down there with a room of people who are up there, but they had to start from somewhere. And you were invited for a reason. So you need to tell yourself that and have that confidence when you're in a situation like that. And I just thought that just really spoke to me, especially in that moment when I was feeling that way. But I think that's just something that everybody, no matter what your world is, that you can take that away like for example you and I like if we're at a fashion week thing and and you know like and and there are people like you know that are way cooler than us <laughs> sure <laughs> <laughs> then you and know Sammy and I are side on each other <laughs> it's fine you're there for a reason you were invited to that show for a reason you are amazing and you're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and being really honest and open about all the ups and downs of running a business. We're very grateful to hear your story. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.